0: What area of your life, what area of our lives collectively, I don't need like individual answers all over the room, what area of our lives collectively is the hardest to keep from sinning? What's the hardest area of our life to keep from sinning? What activity of ours is the most difficult activity for us to master? The scriptures tell us that this, the hardest thing for us is our mouths are words. The things we say or don't say, the things we text or don't text, the things we post or don't post, are words. This is the one area of our life which is the hardest for us to keep. I even heard some really, uh, I think really great advice recently about speaking up in small group settings. I don't know where I've shared this, uh, but I keep saying it so I learn from it. Um, and this is particularly important advice for those of you like me who talk a fair amount. They said, uh, don't say all the things you really want to say. Those things, just don't say those. Say the stuff you're really afraid to say. Say that. Maybe it was Brene Brown. Does that sound right? I don't know. us, anyway, somebody might know. If you could help me find that source, that'd be great. But don't say all the things you really want to say. Say the things you're really afraid to say. That's so hard because I want to say all the things I really want to say, you know. It's so hard to obey that. I've said that probably a dozen times in the past month to somebody as I'm trying to sort of have those words speak back to me, and and maybe I will believe them and live into them, and I'm sitting in the setting, and I'm thinking, I just want to say this right now. Oh, I don't want to say that. And these words come at me, and it's like, okay, let's try this out, but it's so hard for me to obey that wisdom and that advice. What's your relationship like with words? What's your relationship, think about your own life, what's your relationship like with words? Do you use them too much? Do you use them too little? How many of us have said some really stupid things to people we love? Every single person should be raising their hands. Or how many of us have thought, I shouldn't say this, but then you say it anyway. (laughs) One person raised their hand. Thank you. Uh, um, Everybody else should listen to Kirsten's Sermon on Honesty. (coughs) Um, (laughs) how How many of us have thought, I should say this, I know what I should say right now, and then we don't, right? I can think of so many times I've thought to myself, I've been been sitting there like a baseball player who's like, don't strike out, don't strike out, don't strike out. I'm sitting there and I'm like, don't say it, 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 don't say it. You're dumb, you're dumb. You know, and I've been like, I'm like telling myself not to say it, like repetitively, hoping I can stuff it and force it and it just bursts out. Or I'm halfway through a sentence and I know that it's going in the wrong direction but I can't figure out how to throw on the brakes. Taylor Madge does this all the time. Uh, And... (laughs) Uh, and the, I if you just watch Taylor, it's hilarious how many times she'll get halfway through a sentence, and then she's like, and she finishes saying it. And you're like, Taylor, you knew like 14 seconds ago this was a terrible idea. She's like, I couldn't help it. Anyway, uh, <coughs> the, reason, the reason why this, all this stuff, saying what we don't want to say and not saying what we do want to say, and the, the reason all this stuff is such a big deal is because words are a really big deal. What they do, what they mean are a big deal. And tonight we're going to talk about wisdom with our words. Did you know that the leading cause of lung cancer is not a cigarette? It's your DNA. It's your DNA. You could smoke for years and nothing would ever happen to you. The whole war against smoking is just to restrict the farming of tobacco. It's big business. You know who said that? Mohammed Katani. Anybody heard of Mohammed Katani? Well, surprising, because Katani won the Toastmasters Public Speaking Championship in 2015. I'm surprised you guys haven't heard of him. Uh, uh, do you guys know what Toastmasters is? Uh, Toastmasters is probably not yet. Maybe some of you. Um, for for as many of you as will work in corporate environments, you'll hear about it. There's a ton. There's like 350,000 people in Toastmasters. They often meet in corporate lunchroom settings. Uh, to, uh, to, to develop public speaking skills. That's what they do. So they bring their, their lunch, and then people just sort of speak on different topics, and they, they offer critique and stuff to work on public speaking skills. A huge amount of people participate. Um, and, and every year, uh, there is a Toastmasters championship. And in 2015, Katani won this, making him the greatest public speaker in the world in 2015. And he got on stage, and he said, did you know that the leading cause of lung cancer is not actually a cigarette? It's your DNA. You could smoke for years and nothing would ever happen to you. This whole war against smoking is just to restrict the farming of tobacco. And then he said, I used these arguments even though I just made them up. A simple choice of word can make the difference between someone accepting or denying your message. Words are powerful, friends, with no evidence from a name you've probably never heard of. Many of us are prone to believe something just because of words. And I would argue not because we're stupid or gullible, but because words are really powerful. In today's world, people are fired over 140 characters in a tweet over and over and over again. And often, if the political reasons align with our political reasons, we think that they ought to be fired. We respond to social justice issues with words and hashtags And we think that that does something. A friend of mine, after a recent national tragedy, posted on Facebook, if you go to church in the morning and they don't speak about this tragedy, then find a new church. That's how powerful words are. Think of the difference between feeling sorry and saying it. There's a... I almost showed a clip tonight from Boss Baby. It's, I don't know. I have kids. I don't know if you watch it. There's this scene where the baby and this kid are, are trying to say, we need to, f- we need to fake like we love each other, but they can't even use the word love. The kid's like, we need to act like we love. We love and he does that a bunch, and the baby's like, no, don't say it. You know, And, and like, even for my kids, who, who like this sermon, it would be interesting for them to try to figure out how to make sense of it in their world with how young they are. But there's something about that intuitively that still even connects with them. That putting words to something we know is is different than just knowing the thing. The difference between feeling strong emotions for another person and saying, I love you. There is a world of difference between those two. Words mean something. Words create something. Listen to some wisdom from the language of the Bible about words. We're just going to look at some different stuff, just so you can see the way words are talked about. Proverbs 12, 18. Would you throw that one up first, Keeley? The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Sticks and stones, I break my bones, right? Words can't hurt anybody. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says words pierce like swords. I can think of moments... This, this is so apt for me because I can think of moments when my wife and I were in an argument and I walk out the door. And as the door is shutting, I throw a word at her like a dagger. And it, it reminds me of this. Like I'm saying something mean and, and, and I'm being reckless to, to, to hurt. To hurt. I knew it would. But words can also heal. A kind word, do you know this? A kind word, this is what the Proverbs would tell us. A kind word can heal anxiety. Being kind can heal anxiety. A gentle, soft word can turn away anger. If someone in your life is angry, here's wisdom, friends. Do you know what helps? Gentleness. You know what doesn't help? Getting angry back. But we still do it. Why? Because it's really hard for us to control our words. We'll get to that. But here's wisdom for you from the Proverbs. A kind word can heal anxiety, a gentle, soft word can turn away anger, and an honest, courageous word can heal ignorance. If somebody in your life is ignorant, having a little bit of courage and giving them truth might actually help. Let's look at Proverbs uh, chapter 18, verse 8. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. <laughs> Such a strange verse. Uh, so the word whisperer is translated all sorts of different ways. Uh, usually, often is translated as one who gossips. Nobody here does that. Um, or uh, or as somebody who spreads rumors. These are like delicious morsels. They're hard, which is the only time I ever see that word, I think, is in like a chocolate chip bag. I don't know where else that word is used um, other than this translation of the Bible. But um, these, what this means is these words are hard to resist. They're, they're tempting for us. They're delicious to us. When we hear them or say them, we take them in and we interpret them in the innermost parts of our hearts and our minds when somebody's whispering, when somebody's gossiping, when somebody's telling you rumors. If you, if you um, gossip or you entertain gossip, the image that we're invited to imagine is that you're sort of hiding in the corner with a friend devouring a cake, but that cake is the soul of whoever you're gossiping about. And it tastes delicious to you. You know how powerful words are? They can be irresistible. And they can change the way we think about other people. Another proverb tells us that gossip divides friendships. It divides them. If you want to have factions, if you want to have a group of people that that you used to be friends with, but you're totally not anymore, and you're sort of arch enemies with their friend group or something, start gossiping. That will create that so fast. Proverbs 18, 21. Let's keep on this positive trend. Uh, we we'll would be the next one. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. This is one of my favorite Proverbs. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. This is probably speaking about people who love to hear their own words, okay? But we can all learn from this. With, with words, the world, or with words, the universe was made. And like our God, we make and destroy things with our words. We make covenants with our words. We make friends with our words. We make enemies with our words. Wars are waged over words. Families are divided over words, and families are forged with them. Death and life with words. If you want to destroy certain things in your life which need to be gone, words are going to help. And if you want to bring life to certain areas in yours, words are going to help. This is the kind of power words have, friends, which is one reason why Jesus says that we will have to answer for every careless word which comes out of our mouths. Because words have power. And this can be terrifying if such a powerful thing is also the hardest thing for us to master. We'll look at James chapter three, and we'll come back to this probably a little bit at the end too. But this will be the main text for tonight. We read this a little bit earlier, right, dear brothers and sisters. Not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. I'm not going to talk about that tonight, but I thought you probably should hear it. <clears throat> Indeed, we all make many mistakes. That that word there, many, implies sort of different varieties of mistakes. There are all sorts of ways that we mess up, all sorts of them. James is giving us a degree of grace in this. Look, everybody messes up in all sorts of ways, right? But if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could control ourselves in every other way. Look, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in his mouth, and a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your your whole life on fire for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It's restless and evil. That word restless is almost always used here. That word is almost always used to talk about promiscuity. Somebody being restless and wandering around sleeping with all sorts of people. Here, the, the, the James is saying uh, that the, the tongue is restless like that, and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, that's not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. So many metaphors here. I just want to pick one. Think about how small, if you can't imagine it, think about how small a rudder is compared to a ship it steers. I mean, ships as as, as wide as this room might have a rudder that only goes two feet deep in the water. And this massive thing, this massive, heavy object can be steered by just two feet of a fin sitting in the water. And James compares our tongues to, a, to, to like a rudder. These small things can move and change our entire lives. Imagine how our words or our silence have shaped each one of us in this room. The relationships which have begun or ended The ones which have been fractured or redeemed because of words. Jobs we've held or jobs we've missed out on because of words. Never in history have more words existed. Just never in history have more words existed. And never have they been shared so freely. And we are able to create some kinds of community and communicate with people all over the world because of this. But also think about the damage done. Five minutes, I submit to you that probably is too long, five minutes of reading comments on YouTube is enough to make any single one of us want to hide under the covers in our room. Words are powerful. And yet, none of us can control them. We can tame animals, we can fly to the freaking moon. We can send videos to each other, uh, we can send videos of each other like to space, and back through any number of routing destinations in a matter of nanoseconds. But who among us can say just what we want to say when we want to say it? Or shut our mouths when we ought to? My friend Brian told me of a phrase in French. Uh, does anybody here speak French? Fluently. Anybody? I'd rather have you do it. No, <laughs> you're like, no, no, you said fluently. Uh, well, there's there's this word in French, if you put it up on the board, l'esprit d'escalier. We're just going to assume that's exactly how you say it. Um, uh, I put down it phonetically, les spri des ka li e. So I think that's right. Um, it literally, this is what this literally means. This is one of my favorite phrases in the world. Um, it literally means the spirit on the stairs. That's what it means, the spirit on the stairs. There's this guy, the guy who coined it talked about how he was at a dinner party and, and the arguments were, were happening so, so robustly and, and, and loudly that he was overwhelmed and he couldn't get his thoughts straight. And on the way out of that dinner party, walking down the stairs, by the time he got to the bottom, he, all of a sudden his mind was clear, and he knew exactly what he would say then if he was back in the dinner party again. And he coined this phrase, the spirit on the stairs. It's, it's when you have this moment, and later on you think to yourself, oh, God, you know what I should have said? I should have said that. Right? We've all had that moment, Right? When, when, when we, we didn't know how to defend ourselves, or, or uh, you ask somebody on a date, or I don't know, whatever, positive or negative moments where you just, you're shut down, and, and it's like later you come up with the perfect thing. Well, there's a phrase for that in French. In English, if I'm like, ah, oh, the ghost on the stairway, you know, like, everybody, <laughs> that wouldn't work so well, but, uh, and I don't know how to speak French, so whatever. Um, okay, but, but here's the thing. Words can be so powerful that they, and for this guy who made this phrase up, they can make it hard for him to think straight. That's how powerful words are. His mind's all jumbled. He doesn't know what to do or how to make sense of things in his own head. And then when those words come back to him or come to us for the first time, he, he actually, and I think we do too in these moments, feel a sense of power from actually having words now. That's how powerful they are. Even knowing this phrase, just knowing that there is a phrase in the world that speaks to an experience I know that's really hard to talk about without a phrase, it unlocks something. It unites people. This this happens to all of us. All of us can think about moments in our lives when we read a book uh, or or, or watched a show or heard a song where somebody said a thing in just the right way. They strung a few words together in just the right order that unlocked something inside of me and I thought, oh, I'm not alone in the world. That's how powerful Words are. There are songs I have listened to that they get like one verse in and I'm crying. I'm like, I don't even know what the song's about. And I'm like, but the, the opening words were just so dang powerful. Words have an incredible amount of power in our life. They have the power of life and death. And James James, the the, the writer of uh, well James, uh, technically not his name actually, but whatever, that's a different story. Um, it invites us to tame our words. Like we tame pets. These things which are so powerful to tame them, to steward them, to not be ruled by them, to master them. Some of us, I think, might be inclined when we hear that to simply shut up. If words are so powerful and we mess up with them all the time, then why use them? First, friends, I would submit to you that your silence or your lack of words is just as powerful as the presence of them. Haven't we all experienced hurt by another person's silence? Haven't we at times just wished that somebody would speak when nobody does? Hasn't silence contributed to an unbelievable amount of of abuse in our world? If words can shine light on things, friends, silence can keep things in the dark. The reality is with our words or our silence, we are always creating kingdoms, kingdoms of self-protection. If you start thinking about why you say the things you do or why you don't say the things you do, why you use the particular words you use, why you speak up in certain moments, why you don't speak up in other moments, why you fantasize about saying certain things in certain places, and why you just wish you could get away and not talk and be invisible, in all of these efforts we are trying to establish a kind of world kingdoms of self protection or kingdoms of fighting for others kingdoms of victimization or kingdoms of championing others with your words or lack thereof we or you or we are contributing to some kind of world <coughs> paul in his letter to the ephesians says this it's ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths But only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. In context, Paul is talking about old lives and new lives. Like there's a, a, always this is the case, there's a bigger context within which this verse sits. And I just need to tell you briefly about it. Okay, he's talking about old ways of living and new ways of living, and this fits right in the middle of that. He talks about, like, putting off falsehood, stop being false and start speaking truth. He talks about stop stealing and start working hard. That's what he says. And now, he says, put away corrupt talk and build others up. You guys, there's this sort of rhythm happening in Paul's language here in Ephesians chapter 4, okay? He doesn't say, since you are so corrupt in your speech, stop talking. That's not what he says. No, we are encouraged to lift our eyes to people around us and build them up. And this reminds me of of, of just a hallmark uh, uh, theme of the kingdom of God. The very ways in which we find ourselves weak, God decides to display his strength. Almost, I mean, it's just—it's crazy how many times that the areas of weakness in our lives, the areas of sin in our lives, the places which we've experienced so much brokenness and hurt, God decides to use those things. Uh, Paul, in, in his letter to the second, uh, to the Corinthians, the second letter, he he, he talks about us as broken vessels. As, as, as crumbling potsherds uh, is sort of the, the language there that he's using. And the idea is he places his glory in this kind of thing. He does this all the time, friends. If you've got some places in your life that I'm like, I know, I know that if I begin to follow God that I have, this is done with, and I, I, I say au contraire, which I think is another French word because I'm now fluent. Um, <coughs> I've actually never said that before in my life, which feels weird to say that now. Um, uh, so I wouldn't say that. I would say... Uh, something else dumb and weird, like, oh, ha-ha. God probably will not, actually. Just close the book on that chapter of your life and then move on. He will probably find a way to incorporate the whole dang thing into his kingdom work in this world. I I submit to you that we have a hard time believing that's true. For many of us, we do not believe in the promises of God uh, we have a hard time believing in the promises of God because we do not have a theology or an experience with God uh, that we've thought about that leads us to believe that God is a redeeming God. We think God is only a God who throws things away and does other things. And so if I begin to follow him, I now have to turn my back on everything before. And, and C.S. Lewis, uh, who, who is a champion of mine or some, a hero of mine, he would argue that what God takes away with his left hand, he almost always gives back with his right. This is the way He works. This is the way he works. For those of us who speak a lot and for those of us who hardly speak, the invitation is the same. Build others up in the world. If we are following Jesus, being slow to speak and quick to listen is an option that's fantastic. But being silent isn't. It isn't. God actually wants to express you in the world and himself through you. But if we must be expressed, if we must speak, and we keep messing up, what are we to do? And I think Jesus has tremendous insight to offer here. He tells us that what comes out of our mouths is an overflow of our heart. I don't think I gave the verse for this, but it's from Matthew chapter 12. Uh, the end of verse 34, if you're writing it down. Um, Jesus says, whatever is in your heart, that is what determines what you say. If, you, if you're growing up in the King James uh, translation or something, it's sort of out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, I think is what it says. I don't, I don't, think, I don't know when I've ever read the King James. That's just a really common phrase, right? That, uh, maybe you know this, but whatever is in your heart determines what you say. So if you are continually harsh, it's only going to do you so much good to say, I'm not going to be harsh anymore. Why? Because the harsh things you're saying are coming out of your heart, which is another way of saying that harshness is coming out of your being. If you tell me something like, Jason, I really like for you to, to tell me the, uh, thank you more often for the hard work that I do. And I say, okay, okay, I'm gonna, I'll make sure I tell you thank you more often. And the next morning I get up and I say, okay, make sure, make sure to tell that person like thank you 10 times a day because they said tell, tell them thank you. If you could peer into that a little bit, and my guess is you would see it anyway, you're going to go, that's not really what I wanted. What I wanted isn't just for you to use words. What I wanted was for those words of gratitude to be an expression of an inward reality, right? Like I wanted you to actually be grateful for my hard work and then put words to that. But how many of us in this room, when somebody has asked us not to say a thing, or somebody asked us to say a thing, we don't do any hard work. All we do is try to fix like the fruit on the tree. That's not the way trees work. That's not the way trees work. <coughs> if, on the other hand, maybe you're not harsh, but if, on the other hand, you even struggle to speak up, when it would be good for you to speak up, it's only going to do you so much good. If you say, well, I'm going to speak up next time. I'm going to try to speak up, like, twice. Like, there's some value in—because pr- like, there's a lot of value, actually, in practice, and hard practices— But but friends, I would argue that the timidity that you display in your words or your silence is actually reflecting the timidity with which you carry in your heart. One scholar says it this way, speech is a larger part of our lives than we realize. It is an overflowing of our being. It is the main way we express what we are. Speech is the self-expressed. It's literally pressed out. Changing the way we talk can be effectively done only at the heart. Speech is the way we express what we are. It is the self pressed out. So if I'm critical of my words, there is something going on in my heart. If I'm angry with my words, there is something going on in my heart. If I am gossiping, there is something going on in my heart. This weekend, uh, I had just a phenomenal time in so many ways, except for the fact that on Easter Day, I was irritable all day. And the answer to why I'm irritable isn't just the fact that I had irritable words and I had irritable temperament and I was short or quick or anything like that. There was something going on in my heart. And I woke up yesterday morning and I was thinking, Lord, what is going on in me that made me feel like I needed to be irritable to protect that or to address that? What is going on? Obviously, I don't want to speak irritable things, but, but I'm just going to keep doing it unless I address the deeper issue. You see what's going on? Do You see that dynamic? But if I want to see change at a deep heart level, I, I, need, I need help with the core of my being, which is pretty rough. That's not like uh, you know, five uh, sort of ha- tasks that you can pick up for the next week to be, say kinder things or something like that. Like, for, for that, I want to invite you just the last time as we close, look back at James chapter 3, verse 9. We already read it. He says uh, something like this. Sometimes our mouths... Praise our Lord and Father, and sometimes they curse those who have been made in the image of God. Sometimes this is his image of a spring that does two things or a tree that bears different kinds of fruit. He says, Our mouths, though, do this thing which nature even doesn't because we can rebel against God. Our trees can't. But I can, in the same breath, bless God and curse you. Interestingly, he doesn't say, Praise God and curse God. He says, Praise God and curse those made in his image. God made you, friends. He actually made you to be expressed in the world. He didn't make you to hide. He didn't make you to hide you. He made you to show you off. That's even how he wants to be shown off himself is by showing you off. You bear His image. And he takes personally the way I speak to you and the way I speak about you. My words about you and to you, he takes personally. This is how the core, I think, of our hearts are changed. By believing that God is actually for us and with us so that we don't have to freaking protect ourselves all the dang time with our words and our silence. If God is actually for us, then who could be against us? And maybe that, if we could just believe that, maybe we would be freed up to use the power of our silence and the power of our words, not to protect ourselves, but to build each other up. Lord, have mercy.